Welcome to Popaholics, the show about hot takes, hotter than hot, tasty pancakes. I'm your host, Christian, and I'm joined by one of my best friends. Just one? Just one today. Brian Dupree here. How's it going? Uh, Chris wanted a day off. I guess our other co-host, Chris, this is your first time to pod. There's normally another jolly fella here, and uh, he's not here. It's very sad, but we got a lot to get into, so it'll probably work itself out, being that there's only two of us, because uh, this podcast, based on what's on the docket, we have a lot of catching up to do. Comic-Con- It's going to be beefy. Comic-Con coverage was awesome, but it pushed back some stuff that we had uh, that I wanted to talk about in you as well, Brian. So- what is Papaholics? Well, if you're joining this as your first episode, welcome. We have a YouTube and audio feed that you can subscribe to. Both are linked in the show notes as well to all our socials. And this is a weekly upload, so we talk about the latest news in pop culture, as well as what's coming out this week on streaming and in theaters, or if there's a big video game release or a big album, we'll dip our toes into to those waters. Then uh, we talk about what we've been consuming, and we actually have a, a special bonus part. We're going to do some community feedback which is where you can email us at popaholicscast.gmail.com. We read those aloud, read our five-star reviews, talk about what's going on. And then we actually have a special review of Nope. So we're going to cut out maybe 20, 30 minutes to do a non-spoiler and slight spoiler talk. It's not going to be like a full-blown hour-long conversation, but me and Brian both got a chance to check it out. And uh, it's a pretty interesting film. So we will have a review on the back end. Uh, but we are going to start the way that we always do on this show, which is with Brian's wibbly-wobbly wacky news corner. We have uh, the first piece of news, Darren Aronofsky's new movie, which was announced probably sometime last year, I believe, that is starring Brendan Fraser. Uh, we got our first image from this movie where Fraser plays a 600-pound man who is struggling to reconnect with his 17-year-old daughter. Um, we saw Fraser come back to acting uh, recently in No Sudden Move, which was one of my favorite movies um, a couple years ago. And actually uh, before that with uh, Doom Patrol, is it? He plays oh, a- he's in Doom Patrol as well. Yes. Okay. So yeah, um, someone who is out of the game for a while, kind of having a comeback, and I think this is going to be his first um, big starring role. So uh, from everything he's saying about this, it's supposed to be really solid. Aronofsky, generally someone that we're big fans of here, doesn't tend to put out uh, subpar content. I'm really looking forward to seeing Brendan Fraser back on the screen. I grew up watching The Mummy and The Mummy uh, Returns. Just in- Is that the name of the second one? The Mummy... <laughs> I think so. I think it's the Mummy, the Mummy Returns, uh, and then the, the Mummy, the like Legend of some some odd some. I don't. I never saw the third one actually. No. I did see the Scorpion King, but long story short, Brendan Fraser, uh, as well as uh, his role in George of the Jungle, just um, kind blast of blast from the past. Blast from Chris, the past. Chris Watkins. Yes, exactly. Just uh, growing up in the '90s, he was kind of ubiquitous, and uh, oh my god, Encino Man, come on. <laughs> not a classic movie but something that was a staple for us and with doom patrol up. and no sudden move the man was like yeah you thought i because he used to be like a sex symbol like in tarzan he was shirtless ripped and he comes back in doom patrol he's a little chunkster little little chunky around the cheeks uh he's been taking it easy with uh with his blast from the past money and then he's in uh, no sudden move which he's a fairly large man and then in this movie uh, he's like oppo, opposite Christian Bale machinist, and he's like, you want to see how big I can actually get? 
and he's playing a 600 pound man which i don't think that he there has to be prosthetics or something because oh yeah there definitely is there definitely is because he has gained weight as you said but there's a lot of prosthetics that are going to be involved in this one but even more exciting in this news uh getting this first look is aronofsky himself right he has not made uh, a film since mother i believe if i'm not mistaken uh directed that's right uh directed one of my favorite films uh requiem for a dream and, uh, you know, he's had some kind of misfires. Noah, which I recently rewatched like half of because I caught it a five bucks Blu-ray uh, at like a freaking um, what's it like this secondhand shop store. Uh, but what's a big box retailer? It's like a secondhand shop store. Anyway, they have five dollar Blu-rays all the time. And I bought Noah and that's like his biggest budget movie. And it's all over the place and kind of a disappointment for fans of his. But obviously putting out hits like Black Swan and, 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 and um, Mother, which I actually have not seen yet, which, which I do need to copy. You haven't seen Mother? I haven't, no, because it's my only Aronofsky you left. Okay, so this is an excuse that. to see it. Oh, yeah. I, you know, you know I, I got weird things. Like, I, I, I'm keep, keeping it sacred. So I've heard good things about I Mother. I think you're going to like Mother, actually. It's kind of, I feel like it's hit or miss with people, but mm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm excited. So just seeing him coming back to directing, hell yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. And Brendan Fraser, yeah. who is great in No Sudden Move. And, and he's Brendan Fraser, we have supporting cast, uh, Sadie Sink from Stranger Things, Hong Chow, Samantha Morton, Ty Simpkins, um, longtime cinematographer Matthew Libatique is is back with him here. So uh, all the right pieces in place for uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, which sees Brendan Fraser coming back to a starring role. Um, moving on, some very... Uh, I don't know if it's the most shocking news because we did know that Ben Affleck was going to be reprising his role as Batman in the Flash movie. This was something that we've known for a little while. But Um, is the Flash movie going to come out? Well, true. If the Flash movie ever actually comes out, which is a big uh, to be determined at this point, (laughs) definitely. But uh, on the Warner Brothers studio tour, which I was actually lucky enough to go on for the first time last year, um, Jason Momoa was caught walking around and essentially exposed the fact that uh, Ben Affleck will be reprising his role in the second Aquaman movie as well. So Ben Affleck, who at some point, I believe in 2019, officially announced that he would, wouldn't be playing Batman anymore. And since then, this is the second uh, announcement of him stepping back into the cowl. So um, I don't know. He, he had a lot of, um, obviously, personal things that he was going through while he was playing this character um and so he had issues with it because of that hopefully he's in a better place now and can enjoy getting back in this role um hopefully for him but how do you feel about ben affleck you know getting another swing at this character it's because brian i'm not playing batman i <laughs> am batman is the company line i believe yeah no it's yes yes cool Snyderverse fans, they're gonna just love it. Mm, yes, right. Uh, no, I, I, I think he was dealt dirty. He's, he's pretty good as Batman in, in no Batman movies. <laughs> so, right, we're not, not the fairest of shakes. He was given, and I'm a defender of Batman v Superman. Always have been, especially the director's cut. I'm on record. I'm not a late bloomer to the Justice League <laughs> Snyderverse. I've always said Batman v Superman. I didn't reevaluate it. No, I always knew. We came out of it, and <laughs> I watched it with Chris. Even the non-director's cut. And Chris was so upset, and I was like, oh, I don't know if Batman should have a machine gun and he should be mowing down people, but it's a different Batman, and Batman's clearly <laughs> in a different place. So I've defended that movie. I like Ben Affleck as Batman. I do not like 
Aquaman. I do not like. I like Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I think he's fun. I think he's just a fun broy superhero. Something, you know, actually Marvel doesn't really deliver on a whole lot, which I do think is like a big hunking. Like, yeah, I'm just a man. I want to get shit done. Whatever. We need one of those every once in a while. That's fun. Uh, I hate. I hate his movie. I did not finish it. It was one of the few. It was like Green Lantern bad for me. Christian, this is a movie that I did a near complete 180 on. The first time I saw it in theaters, I thought it was god awful. Like kind of laughed my way through how bad it was the second time i leaned into how silly it is and i came away loving it actually it feels so. like it feels like the vinnie chase movie you know entourage he filmed aquaman the semi sequences are so green screened and so shoehorned and like yeah. I, I will say it's got a vision and if it's for you it's for you uh but i have to go on record and say aquaman is not the movie i will defend from the dcu but you know you got batman in there i don't know it's maybe, fair maybe i'll check it out it's one of the movies that has uh has like similar to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It has a third act event that happens about a third of the way through the movie. <laughs> and it's just, just weird for, for pacing. Uh, yeah. Typically a good place for your third act is in the third. Uh, <laughs> generally. Third generally third. speaking. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's uh, Ben Affleck coming back to play Batman again um, in the second Aquaman movie. So... Last piece of news proper, it was just announced um, today as of recording that Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese are teaming up once again to make a adaptation of a new novel called, uh, called The Wager for Apple and Imperative. So this is set in the 1740s um, in story. Is set in motion when a patched together boat with 30 emaciated men lands on the coast of Brazil. The men were the surviving crew of a British ship that was chasing a Spanish vessel and it crashed. Their tales of surviving the seas and elements made them heroes. Um, this is by the author uh, David Gran, who also wrote the book that Killers of the Flower Moon was based on, which is the um, Martin Scorsese's previous movie at this point that still doesn't have a release date. Um, unclear if Killers of the Flower Moon is going to come out before or after this because this is supposedly due out in April 2023, which hearing about it now for the first time seems like pretty ridiculous turnaround, especially given um, the state of COVID still and uh, all the protocols that Hollywood has implemented to try and uh, combat that. But with that being said, um, Scorsese and DiCaprio working together, it's nearly never missed they're um, a good combo done, they're a good yeah, combo them it's too. incredible um they've they've done uh gangs of new york the aviator departed shutter island wolf of wall street um not all of those are super hits for everyone i'm a big fan of shutter island personally um i really like that movie but yeah so much great work and wolf of wall street undeniably like one of the top tier for for both of them and the aviator as well i came back to that a couple years ago and i think that it's great is, I like uh, the astonishing. Yeah. Shutter Island. Incredibly good. I watched the whole thing. I'm pretty sure I was so hungover when I watched it. I was actually like, Oh God, it oh, was geez. Like back in raging days. I think it was before I even met my fiance. I, I like raged real hard. I went to a Coden Cambria concert. Got such a diversion. I went to a co- rock concert and got the crap beat out of me, like moshed my face off at a Coed show, which is like, you know, that's, that's low end moshing there, but I went ham and I got like knocked out. So I was super hungover, super wow. beat up, and I watched Shutter Island. Uh, and um, I don't, I don't. My thoughts on that movie probably aren't valid, but I remember being like, "I know where this is going. Please stop." Uh, I remember that is pretty much where my head was at the entire time of like, 
I don't know, uh, maybe spoilers for Shutter Island because I don't remember it. I, th- I was like, yeah, he's yeah. not really there. He's not really there, I think, or something. <laughs> and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what ended up happening. So, But it is a very uh, weird, interesting Scorsese film. Uh, I remember going, this just doesn't feel like Scorsese. He's doing suspense and he just doesn't do a lot of suspense. So I do think it's interesting for that. It does deserve a revisit, I will say. But I think on in terms of the news that we're talking about now with this new one, we have to see this uh, flower moon picture to know the quality. Because I don't know the quality of this writer. I haven't read any of the stuff. Yes. The wager's not even out yet. So I think depending on what that's about uh, will be very interesting. But uh, I'm in a Scorsese mood. I'm halfway through my Criterion Raging Bull. It's my first watch through. I'm loving it so far. So, uh, yeah, more Scorsese. And it's on, um, I guess, I, I disclaimer, which I should have said at the top. And I'm wearing a shirt because I, I knew I would have to disclaim a lot. Uh, I work for Apple. I do not work for the TV division. All my thoughts are my own and don't rep- represent uh, that $3 trillion company. So, uh, yeah, all that being said, I will talk about another Apple series later. Uh, that is very important. Caveat that you should understand. Take everything I say with a grain of salt and know where we're coming from. Uh, we are pure gen- journalism here. Isn't that right, Brian? Pure uh, unbiased journalism here. Although, spoiler, in my quickets, I'm going to talk about Severance. And uh, oh boy, man, is it fighting for top show of the year. And it, it pains oh, me because yeah. I try to avoid talking about anything that represents a company I work for. But when I when I got to talk about like it, ha- there's a if sauce. It's that good. It's uh, that good. You can't, no, and make it because I, I, I do want people to think I'm coming from a genuine place and not a fanboy. As much a fanboy of, of Apple as I admittedly am, um, I need to make sure you know I'm genuine. Okay, my thoughts are my own. But anyway, Scorsese on Apple TV. That's a pretty good, pretty good combo there. We're excited. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so moving into some stuff that's coming out this week. Reservation Dogs, one of my favorite shows last year. This is created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. We just did a whole month covering Taika Waititi. This is um, a notable first in that it features all indigenous writers and directors and almost entirely indigenous North American cast and shot um, entirely in Oklahoma. The first series to be shot entirely in Oklahoma. Uh, Season two is coming out this Wednesday. Um, This is a show that follows um, four kids who have dreams of getting out off the reservation and traveling to California to live out their dreams. So they're doing kind of low-level crimes to save up money and um, try and get out. But functionally, the show ends up kind of being a look at how this town, uh, all the different characters in this town, each character gets at least one episode where we kind of follow them and get to do a deep dive into who they are and their, their backstories. Um, they're short, like 25, 30 minute episodes. They fly by. It's really funny, really emotionally provoking. There's some fun, uh, supernatural elements as well that are at play here. Um, incredible show. If you haven't checked it out, it's on Hulu, uh, season two, starting this Wednesday. Definitely, uh, check that out and, uh, tune in for the second season. Yeah, I'm tempted to to catch up because it's going to be one of those things where I'm so scared that you're going to be like, I watched Reservation Dogs season two and man, they just doubled down. It's incredible. And now I've got two seasons TV to watch. Um, so I'm tempted. I've got a little extra time. I'm, I'm trying to get through the boys season three right now, but um, I am tempted okay. for nothing but good things from and you and others. In terms of length, the first season, only eight episodes. So 25, 30 minutes, eight episodes. Second, second season is going to be 10 episodes. So still relatively not you know, not too daunting at this point if you start catching up now. So that's uh, Reservation Dogs. 
Uh, moving on, something that we actually talked about last week because we saw a trailer come out of Comic-Con for Netflix's The Sandman that'll be out this Friday. Um, this is based on the 1989 to 1996 comic book of the same name by writer Neil Gaiman, who is involved in a production capacity with this show. It stars Tom Sturridge as Dream, Gwendolyn Christie, Vivienne Achimpong, Boyd Holbrook, Charles Dance, Asim Chaudhry, and Sanjeev Bhaskar, as well as a stacked cast of many other people. Um, the premise of this show, in 1916, Morpheus, a.k.a. Dream, the king of dreams and one of the seven endless, is captured in an occult ritual. After being held captive for 106 years, Morpheus escapes and sets out to restore order to his kingdom of the dreaming. So this is exactly where the comic uh, takes uh, begins, and I think is going to cover the first two or three volumes of ten in in this series. So going through a decent chunk of of the story, and this trailer looks great. I'm a super fan of the original run. Uh, I, I've been meaning to come back to it, um, but haven't reread the whole thing. Uh, we covered the prelude that was written um, to to this series that came out much later. I think in 2014. Um, on the podcast, so check that out from way back. But yeah, we talked a bit about The Sandman last week, so don't think we have too much more to say on that, but that'll be out on Netflix this Friday. Definitely stay tuned. Moving to some movies that are coming out this week, uh, we have Bullet Train coming to theaters. So this is directed by David Leach from a screenplay by Zach Olkowicz and produced by Antoine Fuqua. It's based on a Japanese novel called Maria Beetle. Uh, by Katoro Isaka. It stars Brad Pitt, Joey King, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Andrew Koji, Hiroyuki Sanada, Michael Shannon, Bad Bunny, Zazie Beetz, Logan Lerman, Karen Fukuhara, Masi Oka, and Sandra Bullock. Um, ridiculously stacked cast. The premise of this trained killer ladybug wants to give up the life, wants to give up the life, but is pulled back by his handler, Maria Beetle, in order to collect a briefcase on a bullet train heading from Tokyo to Kyoto. On board the train, he and the other competing assassins discover their objectives are all connected. Um, this trailer looks like a lot of fun, kind of action comedy. Um, I have heard some valid criticism of the fact that this was written um, as uh, by a Japanese author originally and set in Japan. So all these characters were probably Japanese in the original way that it was written. The author has come out and spoken on this, so go and check out some some thoughts. But I think there is some valid criticism about whitewashing this story and putting uh, non-Japanese characters at the forefront. Um, so yeah, that's that's. But she sold it as an op. Did the publisher sell it as an option? I guess I haven't looked into it. That's interesting insight. But like- yeah, I think the um, the author is involved in the production is involved in the movie in some capacity i think okay but regrets that it's not a japanese cast no it doesn't actually um he came out and said that it was people should look into it for themselves so i didn't do a deep deep dive mm-hmm. um but he i believe he said that the characters weren't necessarily japanese yeah in the original um so interesting yeah i think if the creator goes it's actually not essential that the characters are japanese it's more about the types of the archetypes of the characters then um interesting yeah i i i i I put that with the author the author's like this was a story about japan and it's been like i think that's a problem but uh, i'll let people see for themselves this there's a lot of uh 
like obviously having signed on to this movie or sold the rights probably wants to be behind it to some degree. So I, like I said, I didn't do a deep dive, but it's yeah. something worth noting sure. around this movie okay. um, and what it's based on. I think so, the fact they have a, you know, they, they got bad bunny. I think that's, that's cl- like it's a 24. He brings everyone together. Uh, bad, do bad bunny. I'm not even joking. It's like emo hip hop kids, uh, like Latinos, like it's, fucking like bad bunny is is one of the biggest artists uh in he's got jams and his his music is 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 really good i've heard his shows are amazing too i'm not i'm not particularly like a diehard fan uh but definitely um the vibes are there the vibes are present and i think there there's a couple of tracks of his we're going off on a bad bunny tangent here but it was the first time i haven't listened to a lot of uh reggaeton music but there was a track where a lot of his songs have like the what you consider like the the standard yes but he slowed it down by like like half the tempo, mm-hmm. and it did kind of like a more more moody song. And I was just my mind was just blown. I was like, oh, this has opened up entirely for me. Yeah, now people love him, and I think he's. I think if uh, you put him in a movie, it's a good idea, uh, and I think that's gonna sell some ticks. It, like all he has to do is go on social media and be like, I'm in this movie, and people are like, Bad Bunny's in a movie, I'm sold. I think this movie's gonna do way better than anybody expects because um, Bad Bunny's very, very, very popular among a large demographic. It's also and we've weird. got Brad Pitt, we've got Brian Tyree Henry, we've got all these, all these huge names. Yeah, should be should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. I'm I'm like it's it's definitely a dark horse this summer as far as how well it can do. But I think I th- they just need to lean into the bunny. They just need to lean into the bunny. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like Brad Pitt's an old, really great actor. But he's not where the kids are at, right? He's not where these kids are yes, hanging out. Of course. Like, yeah. I'm saying I, they should have marketed it as starring Bad, Bad Bunny. You're saying it should have been called Bunnies, Bunnies, Bunnies. It should have been called. <laughs> this, is, uh, <laughs> this is what you call a segue, Christian. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it was, it's labeled truth. as a comedy was confusing in the trailer. Cause I was you like, think so? A little bit, yeah. I think it's pretty consistently like silly on some level though i don't know i don't know I, I i enjoyed the trailer i'm hoping it gives away less than it seems to give away but yeah it's tricky it's tricky when you're doing a story like that so right yeah so that's bullet train that'll be in theaters this friday uh something else that's coming to theaters is body bodies 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 so this is a black comedy slasher directed by Helena Rain and stars Amanda Stenberg, Maria Bakalova, Mahala Harold, Chase Sweet Wonders, Rachel Sennett, Lee Pace, and Pete Davidson. The summary of this movie, a party game leads to murder when young and wealthy friends gather at a remote family mansion. Um, this sort of movie is just very much up my alley. I love a good horror comedy. Um, this set of actors, Rachel Sennett, um, was in a movie called Shiva Baby a year or two ago that was really, really excellent. It's almost like uncut gems level of anxieties, but with like social situations instead of uh, rampant gambling addiction. <laughs> uh, really good stuff um, called Shiva Baby. Um, but yeah, Maria Bakalova saw her obviously in the second Borat movie. Um, getting more roles here. Really excited because she was really great in that, obviously. Um, we've talked a good deal about Pete Davidson. I don't think he's going to be a huge role in this necessarily, but um, yeah, Pete Davidson's in here as well. Bodies, bodies, bodies. It's a it's a horror comedy. Christian, do you have any interest in, in this sort of movie? So as before, I said I said that the, the bu- bullet train doesn't look like a comedy. It looks like a fun movie. It looks like there's some jokes in it, it but it mm. looks like an action romp. 
This movie perplexes me a hundred times that it's it's a dark comedy in the middle of the trailer. And I was like, really? Because it just seemed dark. Um, so obviously you got Pete Davidson in there and there's going to be Wait, some. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I, wild. yeah, I don't know. Like Bullet Train, you know, I'm, I'm coming around. It's, 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 it looks pretty wacky and funny with the sparkling water bit. It looks like it looks like a movie where they showed all the funny bits, but maybe it's not that funny. But we'll see. Great okay. cast on Bullet Train. Okay. Bodies, bodies, bodies has Pete Davidson just acting like a jackass. But that's like yeah. a typical character in like a slasher movie. Some sure. jackass jock or, you know, some, you know, he's usually playing a stoner or something. Uh, right. But I don't know. I, it seems horrific. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's maybe it's the new scream. It's yeah, a- I don't know. It's like people are getting killed and stuff. and They're saying things like you're triggering me <laughs> and like silly kind of like, yeah. I don't know. I think they're going to be going for like silly modern social satire. Uh, this stuff one is a 24 i think i misspoke when i said bullet train was a 24 i don't think bullet train is a 24 this is an oh, a 24 okay. flick yeah so yes uh, yes strike that from the record uh this is an a 24 flick which are, has great brand recognition um you know what they're missing brian they're missing bad bunny oh i thought you were gonna say charlie cox um <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a call back to our comic-con episode check that out yes bad uh, bunny though yes of course bad bunny should have been in this movie i was gonna say it Bad bodies. So that's bodies, bodies, bodies. Bad, be out. Bo- this- bad bodies. That's a, that is not oh. showing in theaters. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta find that one by other means. Um, I'll probably be seeing that, so I'll let you guys know how that is. Uh, booty like one. jello, jello, booty like jello. That's, I, <laughs> it's all in Spanish, so I don't remember any of the actual lyrics, but that's one of the harmonies to his big songs. That's okay, okay. Everyone can get behind that messaging. Um, I'm going to say something in Spanish and triple Anyway. Bad Bunny's you've great. Nailed, you've nailed, you've nailed <laughs> yeah, the style. I don't know why I didn't do it first. <laughs> Multiple reasons. Multiple reasons, Joe Penso. So the last movie that is coming out this, this week uh, that we will be talking about in our main episode next Wednesday is Prey. This is coming to Hulu. This is the uh, seventh installment in the Predator franchise and is a prequel to all of the previous movies that we've seen. It stars Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, Dan DiLiegro, Stormy Kip, Michelle Thrush, and Julian Black Antelope. And the premise of this is in the Comanche Nation in 1719, a fierce and highly skilled warrior named Naru learns the prey she is stalking is a highly evolved alien with a technologically advanced arsenal. So this is Predator set in 1719 with a Native American warrior facing off with it. When I first heard the concept from this, I was pretty much immediately sold on it. I was like, okay, this with what Predator is, I think this is a perfect conceit um, to find uh, new ground and new ways to to present this character. Um, Christian, we're obviously doing a Predator month this month that we're going to be getting into on Wednesday. But how do you feel about Prey uh, coming out this Friday on Hulu? I just got one word for you, and that's Danny Traxenberg's. Danny Traxenberg, oh, Dan yep, Traxenberg yep. is the director. He was supposed to direct Uncharted, dropped out for creative differences. He has directed episodes of Black Mirror, The Boys, most notably has directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was also a spinoff of another series, but it was like, Kind it's of. a weird one because it wasn't originally supposed to be, right? Yeah, and I, I was like, oh, dude, is he making a name for himself? I'm kind of, I will say, by the rollout, I'm just, dis- listen, we're going to cover Prey, and we have a whole Predator month. That's next month. We're going to be covering a bunch of the Predator movies, which 
I'm super stoked about for sure. But part of me's like, I wish this was kind of a hidden little like predator sequel like because he he kind of has this magic about him and even the trailer you watch you don't realize it's a predator movie until it that's kind of awesome so i wish i was kind of going blind but then no one would care if it was just called prey it was about a bunch of comanches right right but i understand how business works i'm so excited for this movie i think dan trachtenberg has really great visual sense 10 cloverfield lane is stellar uh spoilers for my nope review i think 10 cloverfield lane is a better suspense horror movie than than nope um as an example um and i i'm really excited about that's interesting i i feel like there's there are almost different sorts of movies they are there and it's what i would say is from a suspense horror uh, thing for what i like going into a movie this one just you're on edge the whole time and i love that okay, yeah um you know the predator series one that i love is going into director's hands i'm very excited to see everything that he does so this is really cool I'm very excited for Prey. I'm glad we're doing a whole Predator month. I'm glad we're covering it. But I couldn't be more excited to check this one out. I, I'm going to be like a day one staying up late watching it uh, for this one. So very excited for Prey if, it, if if that hasn't come across. And that's next week's uh, main review on Wednesday. We'll be Prey yep. right Yep. So stay tuned. I'm excited. Come to Popaholics for all your Prey coverage. Brian, did you th- find the trailer interesting? Did you? Oh, the, the Prey trailer? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know. We talked about it um, probably a month or two ago when when the first trailer dropped. I I was a big fan of it. I think it definitely lived up to the conceit. And like you said, the fact that it kind of um, it slow it's a slow burn to when <laughs> to the reveal that it's a predator. I think it works well. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, super excited for that and uh, looking forward to going through all of the predator movies because as I'll talk about, um, I haven't done a, a deep dive on them. Ooh, so exciting. A lot of cool stuff to get to. And we'll, we'll talk about all that in the Predator series. But last thing I'll say on this is that uh, I haven't been this excited since Predators. So one of the things that got me excited about Predators is though I wasn't familiar with the director, uh, Nimrod Antal. I wa- uh, it was produced by Robert Rodriguez, which gave me a lot of hope. It had Topher Grace. Uh, okay. I've always been a Topher Grace fan. Um, but this is the most excited I've been about a Predator film since Predators. Um, so I, I'm very excited. I'm hoping that the series returns to its like glory. It looks like it's going back to its roots. We're going to cover Predator, the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and why I think that film is almost a masterpiece. Like I love that movie. Um, so very excited. My my hopes are probably too high. And that's it for the news this week, everyone. Ryan, the wacky news. Thank you so much uh, for that. So that's all the stuff you can catch. We do this, guys. We do this every Monday. So if you want to be up to date on what's coming out, what you should be looking forward to, what you're watching, what we're excited about. Check back here on the weekly upload. If you want an audio version for your commute or for your workout, definitely subscribe to the audio feed if you're on YouTube. And if you want to see our beautiful faces, then uh, check us out on the tubes. Brian did a cute face. It's only us, so it's going to be one in one. But I will tell you, (laughs) Brian's face, very cute. Let's move along into our next section, which is what we've been consuming with our quick hits. Quick Hits is that special part of the show where we talk about what we've individually or collectively been consuming uh, in the world of pop culture. So we got a couple. Th- I've, I have quite the backlog, Brian. So I need to I need to pull out the old iPad. We are, we are bloated with with uh, quick hits that we've been consuming. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with some things uh, that I have recently um, watched uh, that you haven't, Brian. So I'll be brief. 
But I recently got the box set of the Matrix trilogy. There's actually a Matrix quadrilogy, if that's what you call it. Um, but I went with the original trilogy. I've seen the the fourth one. I think the the three are like the Wachowskis' like vision of how how it would be. So I bought it on Blu-ray. So a couple quick notes: when the Matrix came out, love the Matrix sequels. Everybody was like, mm, not so much. I think that's still mostly the story here. After watching all three in a row on 4K Blu-ray uh, Ultra, oh yeah, Ooh, OLED, yeah. OLED, the Matrix, and as confirmed by very prominent YouTuber HDTV. Uh, is a reference disc for HDR. It is absolutely gorgeous. Watching the movie, it's perfect. We have a retrospective, which I'm very embarrassed about, so don't check that out. Um, I was so excited (laughs) to be covering The Matrix. I love this movie so much. And every time I watch it, I get a little bit more out of it. I think it's an amazing movie. That's already like, that's settled score, Brian. Everybody loves The Matrix. Who doesn't? If you don't like The Matrix, fuck you. And there's been some (laughs) silly, like, red pill stuff that's gone on with the internet, which has been addressed, you know, in, in later films. But what stood out to me watching the whole trilogy through is actually this is the kind of trilogy that I always ask for. And although Revolutions, which is the third film, and Reloaded, the second film, are not perfect films, they are all very different from the original Matrix. They expand on the lore. And I do think overall it's a very, very satisfying trilogy in a world of trilogies that disappoint from the superhero genre to all sorts of like action-adventure genres. This is a trilogy that I think cohesively makes a lot of sense. Uh, Patrick Willems, a fan, uh, we're, we're all big fans of his. He's a uh, film essayist uh, on YouTube. He has a great fixing the Matrix, and I think he makes a lot of great points of how to make this better. But the essence of what they're going for is really great. And something that I reflected on re-watching these films that I appreciate more is that uprooting of our expectations for how a film or ideas or philosophical content can develop. And I think most of the pushback, especially from the second Matrix movie, is that the movie fundamentally uprooted its entire premise of being the chosen one and defeating it. So all the things the first one kind of stood for, for so many different people, the Rorschach test of your spirituality, pulling from Western and Eastern ideologies. When you go into the second one, they literally uproot it. Slight spoilers for this movie if you haven't seen it. Is that this the the way forward, the one story was another system of control. And all these films end with Rage Against the Machine, and you find out that the way you thought revolution was was through another system of the machine. And I think that's so cool and so bold. They are outstandingly weird. By the third film, we get a full-on gimp suit fight scene with people running on the top of walls. Like it, it commits to getting weird. And the Wachowskis are okay leaning into this weird goth aesthetic. And there's so many memorable set pieces throughout. Um, Revolutions is essentially a war film. And The Matrix Reloaded is essentially like uh, like a, a, a samurai anime, uh, like techno anime with samurais. It's, it's really something unique. I came back with a lot of appreciation for these sequels. Um, and I think it's worth a, a revisit if you're if you're my age, like in your 30s, you didn't love the sequels when they came out. I, I always had a little bit of appreciation, but I would be like, ah, but they not the Matrix. And, and they're still not. They're still not. Let's be honest. But diving into the lore, looking at the Animatrix, uh, I think there's a lot to gain from it. And I think there's a lot of cool, bold things they did with all the money they had uh, to tell a story. Brian, when's the last time you saw any of the Matrix sequels? And do you have any thoughts or rem- like memories of it? So I, I think it probably would have been when we covered it. And I think at that time I went back and, 
and did watch all three of them. But I also bought the uh, 4K Blu-ray set that you did. We we both uh, took advantage of that same sale. Prime I have day. not tested it out yet, but definitely will soon, uh, especially after hearing you talk so highly about it. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat where I don't think two and three are as good in terms of like being perfect movies, but I love the lore expansion. I think the ending to two and how it, I do like upending the, the story that you talked about. They kind of just completely reverse the death and what happens be, uh, after a death. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They just flip it for the second movie and it's just like, okay, it's a little bit lazy, but uh, in terms of this, the type of story they're trying to tell, I think it's effective. And the third one, yeah, is just a really powerful, completely different type of movie. And you talked, um, I don't know if you talked on the podcast, but just in terms of um, representation, these movies are um, insanely diverse compared to most huge, big-budget Hollywood movies. Um, and so even back when these were made, um, that, that stands out still today. Yeah, absolutely. You get so many awesome uh, black actors. And <coughs> originally, they wanted the main character to be Will Smith, right? <coughs> My God. Oh, that's right, yeah. Originally, they wanted a, one of the most prominent black actors. It's probably the only black actor they could have convinced Warner Brothers to greenlight the movie with. Um, had scheduling conflicts or, you know, didn't understand the movie. Um, it wasn't really on board for the project. So they ended up casting Keanu Reeves, but you know, the surrounding cast is super diverse and it's, it's, uh, it's really awesome. There's so many cool themes. Uh, a note on the 4k set is that they have, um, commentary, uh, that is very interesting. They have two philosophers, one of them being Cordell West, uh, has a commentary oh, wow. track over the entire trilogy. And I was able to catch like the first half of the first one. Uh, but we'll talk, it talks endlessly about the different philosophical ideas. It's really awesome. Um, so that's a great bonus feature and they have all the features, you know, making up all this stuff. If you've never do- dove deep into the technology that made these movies. And I just came, I came back with a big appreciation for the swing the Wachowskis made. And I wish more trilogies and more sequels did the kind of bold things, you know, things like the architect that they talked to i was just thinking about that yeah you know you know uh, i believe it was the uh, vmas or something did uh, mtv movie awards did a huge spoof of will ferrell i, I still think it's very funny yeah on it and it's i remember easy, that too yeah and it's really easy to mock but at the end of the day when you've rewatched it as many times as i had you're like when well, you're talking to like one of the master computer things and it's all logic and it's all predictability and numbers and stuff and you're like this is how alienated it would be to talk to a sophisticated program that dealt just entirely with probability and it's jarring and dramatically it doesn't really work uh and it could have probably been woven better into a narrative but when you have this context for what's happening i think it works a lot better and you see the dichotomy between smith and between neo it's it's really cool and uh, i think it could have been ordered differently and structured differently it totally makes more sense in the second one that the uh, Merovingian, who's the French guy that they go to see, which seems like a weird side quest, but oddly is kind of important throughout the whole thing. His character is only revealed in supplemental material, kind of something they did similar to like what the MCU is doing, where they had all this supplemental material, but it was very important that you understood it. You know, what I didn't realize, I had to do research he's from a former version of the matrix, in which case there was werewolves and vampires and stuff in this version of the matrix. It was much more, um, it was much more like, you know, old school mythology of, um, uh, kind of like 1700s ethos. I'm, I'm looking for a specific word. Uh, maybe you can help me or Brian. There's a word that we, we say for it for like old fairy tales. What's this era called? There's, there's some, there's, there's a name of an author that we, 
that will say. But ah, sorry. Eh, it's okay. I don't remember it. But but you know, it deals with werewolves and uh, and there was a form of the Matrix. And knowing that about that character and where they're going uh, makes the weird vampire characters, the weird werewolves that like there's werewolves in the Matrix, the second Matrix movie. Do, does the movie explain that there's werewolves? No supplemental material <laughs> you need there's a video game tie-in towards the end so there's a lot of big things they were going for uh that definitely helps enhance the experience when you know these things but i think it's worth a revisit i really appreciate the lore of it and what the wachowskis were doing that's the matrix trilogy it's on 4k blu-ray and the f- the, the two dated cg stuff but the first matrix on this 4k set the, uh, set they fixed the green tent stuff that was a little overbearing and it's just beautiful like perfect it's it's more per it's it's become more perfect of a film so 4k matrix if you invested it into that player the tv oh this is a must-have uh very cool stuff so moving on all right again i work for apple i do not work for the tv division all my thoughts are my own but i recently watched the first season of severance which wrapped its season finale i think months ago several months ago and was critically acclaimed one uh nominated for i think 18 emmys not, I'm not sure if it won any, but it was nominated quite a bit. And uh, I'm going to spoil the basic premise. I do think you should go in cold. I'll have chapter markers for everything. So skip ahead if you have Apple TV Plus and you just want to check it out. That's how I recommend you do it. Don't listen to me. Just start watching it. Okay, you've been warned. The premise is, uh, and Brian, do you, do you know the premise of Severance? I do. Okay. So for our, our listeners, uh, there's a company that these people work for in which they're able to sever your conscious work self and yourself that lives outside of work. And so one person going in, the person going in does not, uh, as soon as they enter work, they lose consciousness, wake up leaving work. And so there's two identities, one that lives at work and then one that uh, lives in the real world, as it, as it were. And man, if you're a fan of like mystery box shows, like Lost, um, if you're a fan of sci-fi stuff, oh, especially if you're a fan of as a big promoter of that one uh, video game, Control, the aesthetics of this show, the mystery box that it has, and you've got Adam Scott, who I've always loved as a as a funny guy who pops up in movies from time to time, doing like a serious performance, like want to see a comedian, like someone who's been in mostly comedic roles, do a turn into the dramatic. Oh my God. Severance is, at the same time, very frustrating, because it does end... Uh, on a cliffhanger that leaves you going, I need to watch season two, which doesn't exist yet. Right now, um, it's a it, this 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 show top to bottom is a full winner. If you're into weird sci-fi aesthetic, it's got these 60s, 70s stuff when they're at the workplace. It's this controlled environment. Clearly, something is going on, uh, and 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 the other character doesn't know what's happening, and. Uh, like the person outside of the workplace there's lots of great terminology and vernacular that that pops up and different words for how they handle the situation and the fucking season finale is like like it reveals all (laughs) these threads and it's just so satisfying but at the same time it ends it literally ends with what the fuck is gonna happen in the next five seconds like it, it is that intense and so i'm very excited for season two I do think that um, it has a potential to disappoint. There is still a lot of open threads they have not closed up. So I will not speak for its entirety. Season two will either justify a lot of our patience or or destroy our hopes and dreams. But for the success they've had, if they have the same creative team, 
I don't see this going sideways. Um, the creator is Dan uh, Erickson. Um, and then more notably, Ben Stiller is also a co-producer and directed several episodes, which is very interesting. And there is a there is a tinge of humor throughout, which ca- helps keep it light because a lot of it is the color palette of this is very depressing and very uh, overbearing. So you really do need um, some sense of like humor and you get amazing performances from Adam Scott, Zach Cherry, uh, Britt Lower Lauer. Uh, Trimmel Tillman, you also get uh, John Turturro in one of my favorite roles in a long time. John Turturro is excellent in it. Um, and it is absolutely, uh, Christopher Walken pops up. Oh my God, you know how much I love oh, Walken. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, yeah, it's just very engaging. It's very intriguing. I was very happy. I watched this with my fiance. We both, it took her a second to get on board because it is very, it's surprisingly very sci-fi. And it doesn't obviously over explain itself. Um, it really reveals its mysteries in a very organic show don't tell way. And you really get behind both the characters personalities in and outside of it. And uh, yeah, I can't speak enough for that last episode. That last episode is edge of your seat. Um, TV goodness. So that's severance season one. Brian, you haven't had a chance to check out uh, any episodes, have you? Unfortunately, I haven't, but I do have Apple TV plus. So this is one that. You're not the first one I've heard it's great from. Now that it's all out, I definitely got to check it out, especially if you're saying it's a best of the year contender. Certified bin- bingeable, because I think that it has, it's it's kind of my favorite kind of pop entertainment. It's got just a fun premise. Uh, it's got the tone and mood locked down. It's got great performances. It's got that gotta watch the next episode feeling to it. And it has very satisfying resolves for the thing is it does resolve in season one. And then just really from the last moment, the last like words that are, are done are just like, oh, and, I, and that feeling you get it. I think it's locked in for most people that stick with it. Um, it's a good time. And the aesthetics of it, the stuff that happens in the office culture is it is so control. And you know how much I love that video game. It is like that vibe, that static 60s, 70s lots of knobs and switches and uh you know crt monitors like it's it's just my aesthetic too uh for for how i like creepy sci-fi like bioshock um if you if you've ever played that video game so i'm very sold on catching the next season and it was worth me breaking my don't talk about things that your company makes rule uh so highly recommend if you have the service um this is definitely a must watch so that's Severance Season 1, the whole season streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, moving right along, Brian, we're going to jump into some things that you have seen that I have not, and then we'll bounce back to a couple things that we both have caught. Uh, so let's start with The Black Phone, surprise horror hit of the summer, starring Ethan Hawke. Tell us about it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So this one is directed by Scott Derrickson, who some of you may know for having directed the first Doctor Strange movie. Um, it's co-written by him and C. Robert Cargill. Cargill. Uh, it's an adaptation of a short story by Joe Hill. And the conceit behind this movie, um, again, it's the kind of thing where if you don't want to know the conceit of this movie, I think the trailer surprisingly shows stuff from kind of the second act of this there's kind of a first third that the move that the trailer doesn't really get into that i appreciated um but if you don't want to know anything about it go ahead and skip forward if you're in for this first um horror movies like it and things like that 
you will definitely be in for this. It is a very fun movie, uh, well acted, and has a fun, if not the most entirely original um, climax. The way they get there feels original and and is fun. But the conceit behind this, um, a kidnapped teenager uses a mysterious telephone to communicate with the previous victims of his captor. So Ethan Hawke is playing a child kidnapper here. So obviously this movie is getting into uh, thematically very dark territory. And what really surprised me is, as I said, in the first third of this, um, we get a lot of time prior to our, our character that we're following being kidnapped. And that is some of the most intense um, and frightening moments that we get prior. And obviously things are, are scary and build up after the actual kidnapping, but we see a lot of, and this is similar to Stephen King, Joe Hill's father. Some of what I like best about horror, even when there is a supernatural component is showing the, some of the worst horrors happen within your own home and showing uh, analogs between these horrors and um, even more extreme to uh, people who kidnap or or murder people. And I think all of that is really working here. And um, I think maybe there are times when some of the writing makes it so the performances aren't um, necessarily uh, 100% there, but I don't think it's the actors. I think it's more a little bit of um, maybe some slightly clunky dialogue. But I think this movie, you, you use the term puzzle box and I don't think that's the exact right term, but the way this movie from a certain point forward becomes kind of collecting clues and using what you know to um, overcome your situation um, made this movie a lot of fun and the dark themes were were pretty um, uh, emotionally impactful for me as well here. I think there's there's a decent bit of kind of like um, real quick gore that happens, Uh, not too, too intense, but a, a couple of quick little moments. But all in all, I think it's um, not too crazy from from that regard. Yeah, the movie seems to, from the trailer I've seen from all the content, it seems to nail down its like creepy tone and creepy aesthetic. Um, so that, that has me interested. I'll probably catch it when it's on a streamer or on demand or something. Um, but it's exciting to hear it's good. And, and, and do you think Ethan Hawke is more creepy than he is in um, uh, Moon Knight? I would say so. I would say so. There's he, He's got like masks that, that contribute, but I think there's definitely uh, stuff here that just because it, it goes a bit deeper than, than Moon Knight does, that he's he's more effective here. There's also a couple of moments that are just laugh out loud funny, which um, maybe not entirely <laughs> on purpose, but mm. there's, there's one character who's just very silly and, and has some funny moments. Very cool. Yeah. Um, th- you know, this is definitely a surprise hit. They, they've had, they've had it in the can for a while and it was really wait until, uh, the pandemic passed that they, that they yeah. put it out because there's been a lot of advertisement for it, but good to hear that success. And, uh, it looks like it, you know, we're covering Nope later and, uh, right now it's on track to be probably even with what Nope does, which is pretty surprising. Oh, geez. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, I saw that. I also saw Marcel the shell with shoes on. Um, also in theaters. And I don't know um, about you listeners and and watchers, but in the relatively early days of YouTube, there were a series of shorts um, starring Marcel the Shell with shoes. And this was, uh, these were written by Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp, 
who I believe at the time were in a relationship slash married. I know they were together for a while and have since split up. Um, but they came back together to turn this series of shorts into a feature film. I think it took them eight, uh, seven years around to get this made and, and shot. It's um, stop motion and live action um, combined here and follows a one-inch tall uh, talking shell with shoes on who uh, and his grandmother who has been uh, very suddenly separated from his entire um, group that he was living with before, over 20 or 30 shells that, um, because of things that we learn about, are, are now separated, and he doesn't know where they've gone. Um, the shorts, uh, I just came back and watched one of them recently, still very cute and quirky. They basically have Marcel saying what seemed like how a child would talk, but also kind of have a real poignancy to them sometimes that sneaks up on you. It's a lot of just one-liner gags about how small um, he is and what he what he does because of that. He has a, uh, he wanted a dog, but he couldn't get one. So he carries around a uh, piece of lint as his dog and things like this. So just very cute, silly things. But this movie um, expands it into... Um, our director, Dean Fleischer Camp, who is, I think, playing um, basically himself in this, um, having recently gotten out of a relationship, and uh, Marcel is played by his ex-wife, and them coming together, so there's this meta element of him making this documentary about her, her character, after they've broken up. And it's also a story about him and his grandmother, who is aging and dealing with that, as a kid. Um, and this movie just has so much heart and is ridiculously hopeful and funny and will bring you to tears. Um, and just has a solid appreciation for, for 60 minutes. So, uh, who doesn't like a good (laughs) 60 minutes (laughs) segment? Um, this one, it's something where, um, they used a good deal of the jokes that were in the original shorts because, um, it is very, the shorts are made during the context of this movie, supposedly the way that it's happening. And it deals with um, kind of internet fandom and what it means for people to, when you start blowing up and start getting attention and how that cannot, uh, is not always a totally good thing. Um, So it's dealing with a lot here, but it's like a tight 90 minute movie. It will uh, move you emotionally, but also is, yeah, um, just reminds you to always try and take a different perspective on things. And sometimes seeing life from the perspective of a one inch tall person can remind you of, uh, you know, what's really important and help you appreciate uh, what life is all about. This movie screams that it was made by a bunch of millennials who were like, man, the world is depressing. And they got really high and they're like, let's make a movie uh, to cheer kids up and help them view the world in a way that's not going to make them depressed. Well, that's, that's what this movie screams from all the that, material. That tracks, I, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of fun. The, uh, the stop motion is just super impressive, too. It's, it's um, perfectly interwoven with, with live action stuff, and that's there's a little bit of digital stuff happening with like the mouths for the characters, but um, re- the movie looks great as well. These are the kind of movies I get excited to show my little boy. I'm like, yeah, this is a movie. This is a movie we're gonna start. Oh with. yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's PG 
for good reason. This this movie has you know, has themes. So oh, uh, themes Can't important too many important themes. things that you know children have to deal with, and and yeah, yeah um, it's it's great. Very cool. That's Marcel. The shell with shoes on. It's in theaters right now. Moving quickly along, uh, a couple things that we were both able to catch. Double Indemnity is has a new 4K Criterion Blu-ray. I believe the sale ends by the time this airs, but there was a sale. You can get it for 50% off. So both you and I copped, copped a bogue, as it were. I don't know what that means. Oh, we did. We did. Uh, now, this is really cool. So this film has been on my radar forever. Um, I'm a big fan. If you go way back in the Wayback Machine, we did top five films of all time. You're subscribed to my letterbox, bad underscore karaoke. You know Brick, the Ryan Johnson indie flick from uh, early 2000s, one of my favorite films. And I remember him directly saying Double Indemnity directly inspired the whole genre of film noir, and uh, I would be lost without it. And I, have, I haven't got a chance to check it out. I recently, in my collecting of physical media, bought Some Like It Hot, which is directed by Billy Wilder. I saw this criteri- Criterion sale. I saw that Double Indemnity was on it, and then I realized that Billy Wilder directed it, and I was like, no brainer uh, because I was really charmed by just how smart the dialogue and something like it hot were. So this is my first time catching this flick and uh, it start, uh, it's uh, written by uh, Billy Wilder, directed by Billy Wilder screenplay help uh, Ra- Raymond Chandler and James uh, M. Kane. It's from the novel. Um, he, he wrote the original novel. It's a black and white film from the forties starring uh, Fred McMurray, Barbara Sh- uh, Stanwyck, Edward G. Robinson, Byron Barr, many more. And it is, the quintessential Chris, that's an homage to you, bud <laughs> film noir. And it really feels like a turning point in how you have anti-heroes and introducing various narrative tricks and motifs that reoccur throughout lots of mystery, um, lots of noir. You see direct links from this all the way to Blade Runner, the simple press, uh, pr- uh, premise which christian explains the plot here is that an insurance salesman goes in on a housewife on a a life insurance policy um on her husband because he's got the hots for her and they scheme to murder the husband and 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 get a very specific very high paying life insurance claim Um, that is the general premise of of the movie and uh man performances writing cinematography screenplay that's a perfect movie it's it's perfect. I don't think with the 4K, I think it adds a lot with HDR. So there's a great pickup. It is not going to look as good as some like it hot. It is older film. It is a lot dirtier. Um, these reels were much older and the camera technology just wasn't there. This is ten, over 10 years before some like it hot. But everything I see from this director makes me want to just rewatch everything that Billy Wilder's ever done. I recently bought The Apartment, um, which is a film from about 15 years after some like it hot. I'm excited to check that out. But man, um, specifically, got a, a, the Fred McMurray is like literally a stereotype at this point. But he's so good, and you can feel how original it is. But it's that classic noir of like she caught me hot like uh, like like butter that was sitting out for for too long, and you're like, oh yeah, she did, she did that. And he's it's all it's like these that's terp- the exact way she did it. Yes, yeah, that's exact. I got I got you. And it, it's so cliche, but it feels authentic in this movie. It feels real. And um, it's it's quite a tragic. I, it's basically the movie opens and sets up that everything goes wrong. So like the movie lets you know this does not go right. So the whole time there's this tension behind you while you're watching it of when are things going to go wrong? And the movie like feigns some things and like you really don't see where it actually starts falling apart until the very end. 
And, ah, man, what a joy. This was such an easy watch. Uh, Really, I love these older films that just feel so modern in pacing and uh, performances are absolutely amazing. I also want to shout out uh, Edward G. Robinson, who plays his, like, insurance partner who investigates the claims. Absolutely almost a show stealer. Is excellent. And, um, man, there's so much tension that goes throughout it. It's written so well. And uh, Barbara Stanwyck, Stanwyck as well is an absolutely amazing femme fatale type character, like an amazing um, uh, foil to to our main character. Uh, I can't say enough good things. This this film is an easy full five stars of of man. Just loved revisiting this. Uh, Brian, what were your thoughts on uh, on uh, Double Indemnity? I'm in the same boat. Um, I'm someone who tries to as much as possible avoid spoilers for movies and you know not read deep into the plot or watch super spoilery trailers and this film spoils itself from the jump in it it flies in the face of the way that i (laughs) consume things because it tells you right up front pretty much what happens it's the uh the patrick bateman confession scene we just start with it uh here in the beginning of our movie he lays out what he's done and then we backtrack and figure out how to get there and like you said it's the classic so much voiceover and I think it works so well because I do love the language that the, just the way that people wrote at this time, um, at least the, the best writers. It's so snappy and quick. Uh, I recently watched Maltese Falcon for the first time recently, and I think that movie is similarly um, excellent. It's a hundred percent more difficult to follow what's actually happening. The movie is crazy convoluted, and I think requires rewatches in a way that I think this movie. Like you said, it gives you a couple pump fakes, and there is a pseudo-reveal that happens, a last shoe to drop prior to um, things ending. But yeah, the story is so compelling. In our characters, we see them uh, falling for each other, but knowing that there's this impending thing hanging over them. And the tension is never let up throughout the course of the movie. And like you said, we have our character who's right there, um, basically the... A dog on the trail the whole time right mm-hmm. in front of his nose that's just such a fun dynamic and he's yeah. such a um like they're they're the way they are together feels real and um yeah i i can't really uh say anything negative about this one i thought it was pretty uh top to bottom excellent yeah and it's just such a good reminder last thing i'll say on it it's such a good reminder of like you know when you're when you're creative thinking about ideas in any space you know, going back to these old movies really goes, man, the limitations they had and how they're able to still produce the dramatic tension that's needed. Um, it's it's something to be it's something to like remind yourself that like if you got a camera and you want to make something like if you got the ingredients, um, it, it's it's really incredible what you can do with because a lot of this is this this film could honestly be a play. It really wouldn't be that hard. There's some certain set pieces where we go a couple different places, but essentially you've only got like four or five places that they're shooting at and it's incredibly tight but yet like we've been saying the tension throughout is still so good and it's all in the situations and the characters and the screenplay and it's an absolute win i also think it's like it is moody as hell um with the lighting um you really get a lot of depth through the black and white and that's partly why i'm such a like one of the best revelations is how good black and white films look with HDR. It's it's to me there's so much depth that even with this grainier film, there's so much more layers to the image that really immerse you inside of it. 
and it's it's crazy and I, I love that this this is something that we get to enjoy now and go back and I'm I'm like happy that I waited to see this movie because I would have seen it on like a bad DVD cut and yeah. seeing it in this format was magical it was really magical so big fan if you're into older movies like and you and you have the equipment to do 4k ultra H, uh, hdr <sighs> mm. chef's kiss this is good and it's got uh historian commentary making of got a blu-ray on the set it's a good collection to pick up uh, so that is double indemnity on the criterion collection just released um high high recommend can't wait to dive into the special features it's gonna be really cool all right moving right along Whew. going through it go through it brian we got oh, yeah. one last one in quick hits before our no preview. And I, I had to put this on there because I love my boy, Nathan Fielder. Nathan Fielder, uh, known for Nathan For You, the show where he goes in and, and helps businesses with uh, air quotes, with, Heavy with quotes, really yeah. silly ideas, you know, poop flavored yogurt um, type of deal. Uh, he's got a new show called The Rehearsal. He recently came off producing a new series on HBO Max called How To with John Wilson. There's two seasons. I've seen most of season two and all season one. That's an excellent show. But this is new show starring him called The Rehearsal. And uh, it feels like if you've seen Nathan for you, it feels like he's taking everything he learned from that show and doubling down in almost every single regard. So it's very much putting real people in very weird situations. In the general premise, we're only two episodes in. The third episode aired the night we're recording. Um, I'm going to check it out probably after we finish recording because I'm addicted to the show. The general premise is that he helps people tackle situations by <laughs> rehearsing the situation they're scared of whether that's a big or a small thing in the first episode we see someone who's afraid to tell um a lie a small white lie that he's been telling a friend and nathan fielder comes in and helps psych him up for this event in the second one it is a, a woman he's, that wants- he's revealing that he has been lying right yeah, yeah. he's revealing that uh, he's he's told a white lie about his life which is mm-hmm fairly inconsequential and not really that big of a deal but man all the importance in the world is placed on it and the second one is uh it looks like a thread that they're going to keep going throughout the series is uh, a mother uh, this woman wants to be a mother and so he's he's simulating rearing a child throughout their entire development as a rehearsal for are you prepared for being a mother and the links that this show goes through to get these stages these rehearsals is bonkers and I'm going to be very brief on it. I don't want to over, I don't want to spoil anything because it is just such a joy that every 10 minutes we are escalating the ridiculous lengths. I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars on a silly white lie we're rehearsing and Nathan Fielder being his own character within this show in dealing with real people and how they cut between it. Um, this, this show is profound to me, but it is almost entirely all cringe. Right there's the cringe factor of what you feel through watching it. That's not for everybody, but man, if you like Nathan for you, I think you're gonna get a lot out of it. There's a lot of smart things going on, and oh my god, some of the biggest belly laughs I've had in a long time. So good. <laughs> so that's on HBO Max. Brian, I bet I begged you to watch some of this, and I know that uh, you've never told me. Like I'm a huge fan of Nathan for you, so I actually don't know where you stand on that. But I know you're kind of adverse to this type of filmmaking so i'm very curious what did you think of the rehearsal i've i've always enjoyed nathan for you and i've seen it i haven't watched the the whole run of it um but shout out to my good friend farhan um we were having a movie night the other day and before we watched a movie he was like you have to see 
the first episode of the rehearsal. <laughs> so he similarly uh, threw it on and had me watch it. I had heard, um, I, I had heard about it previously, knowing that it came out. Um, yeah, you, you said it best. It's entirely cringe and just brings out these hilarious moments from people that you would never expect. In the first episode, are the character that we're following, the level that he's dedicated to trivia becomes more and more uh, uh, announced throughout the course. To I will the point say where the he, gag. It'll be much funnier. But <laughs> damn the Chinese for inventing gunpowder is one of the funniest oh lines. God. Which, if you watch the episode, I'm not. Yes. You will still laugh when you hear it. In that context, you're like, that's kind of funny. When you hear it in the context of what they're doing, oh my god, it's so fucking good. It's impressive and horrifying <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> he is uh, truly insane, but it creates some hysterical moments. And yeah, I, I think there is something kind of, um, even though he's clearly taking the piss to a large degree and there's a level of irony um, there is something that he's uh, touching on that that feels um, true or profound in terms of how we build thing, these things up to be maybe more than they are. Um, uh, things that uh, 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 situations that we don't want to go through. Yeah, and, and it's it's reflective of him as his Nathan Fielder character throughout Nathan for you and this. It feels like a continuation of that same character, that persona that he has. Right. And not only is it about that, right? That that's centrally what drives us. That's the pull of the show, the narrative, uh, thematic hook to the characters that we meet, where you where you do genuinely feel a lot of sympathy. I think the butt of the joke can be on these real people that he's involved in these things, but I do think overall the show does a pretty good job of making you sympathetic to some of these characters. But I do think there's more profound stuff the show is actually saying about the artifice of reality TV, the artifice of being able to fix things uh, through art. And there's there's just a lot of interesting commentary throughout both episodes I've watched and uh, just the care to the people they got for this show, too. It's like there's a very interesting character uh, in the episode Scion. He's the owner of the Scion, per se. And that character a real person, presumably, the the levels that you get to in episode two of who this person is is very, very, very interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I do think the show is saying a lot more than what it may seem, and uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It's uh, Christian, none of that is by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where you watch it and it just keeps ramping. There's yes. no settling for what you think it's going to be 10 minutes later. You are like, and now we're here um, and we're doing this. And oh my God, Nathan paid like Nathan Fielder paid for this to happen. And this is how his solve was going to be for this. And now he's making this decision. It's like one after another of the premise escalating. And it's such a great skill of editing and planning and production that it's very unique. It's very unique television. I don't love reality TV most of the time. Whatever this is, this is the kind of reality TV I like because although it feels more artificy in so many ways, it also feels more true to the human condition. <laughs> um, and it's a whole lot of fun. Brian, anything else on the rehearsal? No, I'm excited to watch episodes two and three. I didn't realize the third was out already. Uh, yeah, the third came out like literally, I think it pre- I actually think it premieres in 30 minutes from this. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's the rehearsal. It's on HBO Max. It comes out Friday nights um, and uh, first 
three episodes as of uh, the dropping of this podcast will be available on HBO Max or HBO. All right, we're going to hit some quick community feedback things. Um, we have our throwback Thursday um, that is available over on the YouTube feed, also on the audio feed if you just search for it on your favorite podcatcher of choice. But we're releasing on YouTube our Atomic Blonde. We did a Women Empowerment Month in honor of, I think there was a movie that was supposed to come out. But, oh, Harley Quinn was coming out, right? The Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn story. It had like eight titles. Anyway, this begins that month. We're talking Charlie's there on kicking ass. John Wick, but for chicks, no dicks. If there's dicks, they're getting hit. Hixed. I don't know. That was a failed. I should have thought about that more <laughs> thoroughly. Anyway, that's going up on the YouTube. You can check that out uh, if you're a YouTube follower, but also search the audio feed. Um, we released it, I think at this point it was two years ago. Um, so we're, we're catching up on when we started on the YouTube. Uh, also, uh, we don't have any poll results, but in the show, uh, the show description, in the show notes, you can follow us on the social. Currently, as of this moment, we do post our polls on Twitter at least once a month uh, around the theme. Um, so follow us there if you want to uh, jump in on the poll. Any comments and stuff, we will read aloud on this uh, weekly upload series. Uh, and then also uh, for Prey, we're going to talk about it more, but we have a little sweepstakes going for the entire month. Uh, I'm announcing this. We'll be giving away Predator, the original, um, available on streaming. Uh, we'll be giving out a digital copy of that. So how do you win? Um, throughout the month of August, if you follow the Pop Ox on YouTube and comment anything on any of the videos that are released during August, then you'll be entered to win. We will draw them randomly from our na name generator. Um, if you comment on more than one uh, video, you will get two entries. So... We will be taking uh, a name draw throughout the month for any of the weekly uploads. And then our Prey uh, review will be live also in video format. So any of those videos, if you're following the podcast and you comment, you can get an entry per comment on each episode. Uh, come uh, after August, September, uh, on the September weekly upload, we'll announce the winner live on air and uh, send you a free code for a copy of Predator in 4K, baby, to add to your your digital movie collection. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, baby. Uh, which is, I think, you know, we'll see what Prey's got, but Predator's definitely, the, the OG is the best. And that's what our month's about, so subscribe if you're into Predator. We'd love to hear what you think of the Predator series, any of the movies we're covering, any of the things we've covered on the weekly upload. Email us at papahawkscast.gmail.com or get it out in that comment so you can get entered in to win that digital copy of Predator, the original. Very cool. All right. So that's our normal weekly upload, but we've got, it wouldn't be a, a Brian and Christian episode if we didn't have a little bonus. And we both saw Nope, so we're going to do a quick review of Nope. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pitches could move, we had skin in the game.
was a bad miracle. They got work for that. That is from the trailer from Nope, the latest release by writer-director Jordan Peele. Uh, it was written and directed by Mr. Jordan Peele, and it stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Brandon Perez, Michael Wincott, Stephen Yoon, Ren Schmidt, Keith David, and many more. As of this recording, it has grossed uh, $62 million domestically. Uh, with a budget of around $68 million, it is on track to be certified some ROI. Uh <laughs> Definitely underperforming as of this recording. Could get buzz. Could you know things could happen. But as of this recording, kind of underperforming uh, Jordan Peele's previous attempts. But you know we'll see how it shakes out. Um, basic premise of this show: it, uh, Christian explains the plot for for Nope here. Uh, uh, a a person who has Hollywood horses, uh, horses that act, uh, lives on a ranch, and uh, shit gets crazy. Horses have papers, dude. Yeah. The stuff gets creepy, and uh, our 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 main characters try to figure out what's going on and maybe make a buck off of it by videotaping whatever the fuck is going on in Nope Land. Uh, so, Brian, we're gonna open the floor for first for you. Uh, we're going to uh, do non spoilers and then do a quick spoiler section for this little micro review of Nope. And uh, you're a big fan of Jordan Peele. I'd, I'd say you're probably the most hot out of the podcast on Jordan Peele. I have enjoyed Get Out. Uh, and us, um, as well as this movie, which we'll get into. But you're you're a big fan of of Jordan Peele's work. Does this meet your expectations? And what do you think generally of of Nope? This is a strange one. Um, very much into this genre generally uh, for these sorts of of UFO sci fi horror movies. And similar to what I was talking about earlier, I think this movie does a cool job of. I don't think I don't know if I saw the the absolute last trailer. But there is an element of this movie that the promotional material doesn't touch on very much that the more I think about it combined with the UFO story um, and the themes that that it's trying to build here, the more I like it um, uh, as I've sat with it. While I was watching it and when I immediately came out, I found myself thinking, okay, it's number three of three in terms of Jordan Peele movies for me. But the more I think about it, the more I hear people talk about it. And I think the movie, it's two hours and 10 minutes, but it felt like it moved for me. Um, I, I thought it was paced pretty well, and I'm not sure if I feel the same way on, on rewatch. I think a lot of the kind of payoffs are um, kind of subtle, actually, in fun ways and, and work themselves out well. The third act gets a little bit kind of like what the hell is going on and i'm not sure thematically that it really nails the landing with the main storyline but um i am dying to go back and see this movie again i think the visual effects are largely really solid and the um the way the craft moves and things like this are um interesting and um it has character uh itself i think in in a way that this sort of thing with how prevalent it is, uh, the movie needs that. All the actors are are doing a great job here. Kiki Palmer, Dana Kaluuya, Steven Yoon um, are, are all really solid. Um, I think the movie, in a fun way, kind of, uh, <laughs> and 
we'll talk about uh, Alien vs. Predator later, but this movie explicitly talks about uh, ancient aliens. And uh, as someone who used to be a fan of that show, getting into this sort of um, this sort of thinking and playing around in this genre, I'm generally here for. I think this movie is less interested in kind of UFOs conceptually as the metaphor and the other themes that are going he, go, that they're going for here about entertainment and spectacle and the cost of that and the lengths that people will go to make money and to um, feed this machine. Um, so I think there's a lot to di- dig into here. But like I said, it's something that I kind of had to sit with it and it's grown on me um, as, as I thought more about it and kind of put the pieces together. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I agree 100%. I'm not going to have a much more nuanced take. I was I was definitely less warm on the film, uh, but similar to you, I think the longer I've sat with it, the more I've kind of like appreciated its lack of, you know, this film is, an, I, my first hot take was, it's an excellent movie with a weak screenplay. In the fact that it is shot incredibly well, I think the thematic ideas are very cool and are translated very well. I think the sound design is one of the best I've heard in the genre. Uh, oh, yeah. Sound design is a 100% five stars across the board and really connects this movie together and is so much of what the suspense is for the film. I think the performances are really good as well. You know, Daniel Kalu is playing... The, the, the hard thing that Peel is doing in this movie is that it is a hybrid Western suspense thriller and also alien invasion type of story. Like, it's those three things mixed together, which is... Not something I can say about much other movies. Cowboys vs. Aliens, maybe. And, the only uh, one, yeah. I, I think there's something called Baccarat from like 2018, 2019 that I've heard is okay. really good. Um, but yeah, very few and far between. Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting mix of genres. And I think conceptually it works really well. I think some of the things that don't work in its favor is Daniel Kaluuya is not a, he's a very reserved character. And it takes a while to open him up. But I think ultimately that is actually one of the more thematic payoffs that happen by the end kiki palmer is a little bit of a wild card and honestly she's very funny and there's actually a lot of humor throughout this entire film but she's a bit grating at the beginning and it really isn't till the end that we hang on so i definitely see from a character standpoint and thematic standpoint maybe some stuff paying off on repeat viewings i like you have not stopped thinking about this film as far as like what the because there is this there's something or introduced very early that reoccurs that is basically a b plot to our steven yoon character um, who um, I'll talk about more in spoilers. But what's interesting is it's kind of a, a completely se- separate incident from what's happening. But it's supposed to tie in thematically with the main plot thread, the A plot of this film. And it's really hard to completely draw those things. And the movie doesn't seem like it's definitive in how it wants you to think about those things. But I think from a spectacle standpoint, from a humor, enjoying, like you said, the pace going through, the sound design, I think it's overall a great theatrical experience. I don't think it's the most cohesive film. I myself have problems with especially the third act of Get Out. I think the third act in this film is much more fun and much stronger than Get Out, but Get Out's a very different movie. But I think thematically, Get Out is nailing things 100% more and is a little bit more definitive of what it wants to say. Um, Us is a film I have not revisited. Uh, since I saw it in theaters, but similarly, um, it, it's, it's plot is a bit wacky, but I think thematically 
design shot really well but it's again thematically it's a little more consistent than this but that might be up to interpretation and that might be part of the fun of this movie if you're into that thing um if you're looking for straight answers of like this movie telling you what it's about it's gonna throw like 800 ideas and maybe a couple will stick out after you watch it and i think that's both a very cool thing but also something that makes it less of a definitive piece but certainly there's a lot of really great images there is a like an Akira reference in this film. Uh, it gets real bonkers towards the end. Uh, I was on the edge of my seat though throughout the entire third act. And uh, overall, I think it's I think it's a win. Uh, I gave it three and a half stars on Letterbox, um, which is nothing to shake a stick at. Really enjoy this flick. Um, so uh, positive review. Jordan Peele has a high bar. You know, there's talk that maybe he needs uh, may, some more people doing these scripts with him, and maybe he's getting a little bit into the Shyamalan territory of his own control. I've heard critics say that we're <laughs> potentially, we're potentially getting close there where I do think a couple of friends given some good insight could have really sharpened this out. And this could have been easily four and a half four star. you know, it could have easily elevated it if it was just a little cleaner, but Brian, similar to you off the film thinking about it, I, I kind of keep liking it more and more. So uh, I'm conflicted. Um, there are parts that I really, really like about this film. I'm just so happy that he's able to continue to make movies like yeah. this non IP stuff, taking, taking bold swings. Yeah, um, I'm happy. Yeah. He's able to, to take these chances. Yeah. I rather him swing for something like this and, uh, and maybe not hit on everything rather yeah. than, you know, be directing, uh, you know, guardians of the galaxy volume five and it being like, ah, okay. Marvel movie. So give it to me. I will take this. Sneaky any day. James Gunn, uh, under the bus. No, there. James Come Gunn, on. Is a standout director with a good voice <laughs> in the MCU. I like James Gunn. I'm not saying that. Say I literally could have pulled any sequel and I didn't no, want to I, no. beat on YTT anymore. Um, all right, let's jump into spoilers for Nope. So we'll quickly go through and just discuss maybe um, one or two things that we think are really working in the film. And I know that I have at least one big overall grievance that contains spoilers. So we'll start with you. Um, What do you think sticks out most to you, moment or thematic idea? So I think this one of the big one of the big ideas that the, the movie is grappling with is humans consistently thinking that they can control things that are either uncontrollable or outside of their entire control and the systems that we build up around this stuff specifically for entertainment here. So we alluded to um, the sitcom uh, traumatic event that, that occurred with this onset chimpanzee where because of poor planning and bad animal care, this animal got frightened and murdered multiple people on on set i don't actually think uh they were murdered because we see the young ladies i don't know if the man survived the guy that got trapped and was kind of attacked off screen but we know that the young girl survives okay so mauling slash yeah horrific dramatic close the set no more monkeys on no more chimpanzees on set right so brutal consequential steven yun is traumatized forever (laughs) And they they bring up the um, oh gosh I I blank on their names but the the uh, the performers with the tiger act um, uh, they uh, Siegfried and Roy Siegfried Roy um, said Hansel and Gretel Siegfried <laughs> and Gretel so they bring up uh, that obviously something that is related here um, Stephen Yoon's character 
child actor who a lot of people who go through um, fame as child actors have a really rough go of it. It's a brutal industry that chews people up and spits them out. And showing his character go through this traumatic event, see Gordy go in after having calmed down, go in for a fist bump and get shot right in front of him. And now these days he can't even really talk about or or think deeply about the trauma that he's created and is subsequently repeating it by creating a similar situation where he thinks he can control this craft, what we realize, the reveal that it's not a craft, it's actually a creature, um, by sacrificing these horses to it um, for for spectacle, for these the enjoyment of these people. And ultimately that leads to another uncontrollable event on stage, quote unquote, right? So I think that's one of the big things for me that I think the movie is trying to grapple with, um, how people are treated. Obviously, uh, our main characters being um, from early on in Hollywood and maybe um, uh, the, the character that they supposedly are descended from, no one actually knows who that person is. So it's also about this idea of the people that Hollywood is built on and them maybe not getting the um, respect and credit that they deserve and how all this ties into kind of, yeah, this, um, this entertainment industry. Yeah, I do. You know, this is the part where I'm conflicted. I do think that's one of the strongest thematic elements. However, there's also a competing thematic element about black representation in Hollywood. Right. And I do think there's a powerful sentiment behind Kalua's character kind of being a quiet, but caring and very professional individual who maybe is not getting as much credit, not getting as many gigs because of his place in life, the lack of representation that's been had. And we get this triumphant, uh, similar to Django Unchained. You get a you know black man on a horse being a cowboy, right? And I think that's really powerful. But I think the diversion of the Gordy storyline and Stephen Yu's character is cut short because that character leaves the movie entirely. And it feels sort of empty that the thread wasn't tied up at the very end. And, and maybe that's just something that would have worked better for me. And the fact that we kind of lose that, we lose the childhood innocence trauma thing, which I think is excellently done when he's recanting it. And the only way he can express it, he's like, remember that SNL sketch, which is hilarious because it is, he's referencing an SNL sketch that didn't happen, but there's a similar Chris Kattan acting like a, a rabid, um, like pre man, like um, missing link kind of monkey character. Uh, like chimpanzee type of character like that's a real sketch but it's not about gordy but we as the audience can connect to it i thought that was rather genius and Um, in that sketch christian one of the times he did it i think he broke his neck he broke he seriously injured himself doing this sketch that adds another layer of definitely that they're they're referencing there and as a kid Um, i thought that sketch was hilarious um because it's just him dwayne the rock johnson shows up at some point Chris Kattan, uh, the guy goes into just Joe Rogan talking about comedians when he's just like Chris Kattan killing it, you killing know, it. <laughs> just like shredding on stage. Um, but it's so sad, right? Because he's just hiding behind that thing, this horrific traumatic event that he went through. I absolutely love the reveal when, because because you actually, I mean, I didn't see it coming. Maybe other people did, but I actually didn't see it coming when they were talking about when he was introducing everybody's around. I actually didn't know that Steven Yeun was aware of the aliens yet or the, the, the creature in the sky. Like, it's not clear that he knows about it. Right. And as he's got the horse and as he's talking about, oh, you'll see something you've never seen. You're like, oh, does he know about the alien too? And then you notice that his jacket is like a, a spaceship. Got the UFO on the back. Yeah. And it's like in clear view. Like, that is the kind of stuff where I'm like, you know, Jordan Peele's 
an amazing visual storyteller. Like the way that sequence comes together is awesome and so good. My frustration with the movie is it does seem to have not only I think general audiences and I heard like I walked out with a couple people. It wasn't really a packed screening when I went. I did go in like an off hour, but I, I saw a couple older couple that was you know seeing this movie. They walked out very disappointed in it. And I think part of that why it will not land so much on general audiences is that plot line is strong. I do think there is something to the legacy of black representation in in film culture, but they don't feel connected. There's something there about predators and animals and Hollywood and spectacle, but it all doesn't like end tied up. It's, you know, Steven Yeun's character gets sucked up. I think it's a great sequence. I think them going through the stomach, that's when you're realizing it's a creature as it's like digesting them. Um, and we get oh, the, fu- and the, the sound design of hearing them as they fly Scream. past again, sound design, incredible, <laughs> horrifying. But my biggest thing of like man if you could have just thematically tied up these two things a little neater um i think that would have been a much more satisfying much more cohesive film and that's where i think another writer on board just giving notes of like okay so you're working with these ideas how can we maybe coalesce them a bit stronger and i think it's it it falls under the weight of its own petard as someone would say that's a phrase i think petard captain picard i don't know hoisted on your own petard yeah, I got to look up what Patar. That might be offensive. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So uh, I do think there's just there. It, it kind of crumbles a little bit under its own ambition. And um, man, where the creature goes at the end of the film is full like Japanese anime of like bonkers kaiju kaiju level. Right. And again, I think this conflicts because I don't think because we see so much of it and because it is CG it kind of counteracts some of the other points about the horse being real and whether or not you should use animals. And so it's conflicted there that there's so much weird spectacle. And I don't, I really do think from a visual effects department, it is, it is kind of where the believability is lost. And one of the things the couple said was, ah, towards the end, it just got so silly. And I think part of that is by the nature that some shots are full, this, fucking japanese kaiju that we're seeing and it's i think it could have been executed a little more tactfully i think it's interesting i think the ideas of how it sees and it looks like um it looks like a prism in a in a mirrorless in like a camera lens so there's some there's some cinematic language there and the creature design is good i think we see too much of it it becomes a little bit too unbelievable but again i i think these are nitpicks for me as far as its accomplishment as being a very entertaining kind of thriller in, the, in the terms area. of how it looks, I do think that I, I kind of touched on it when I was talking about my how it gets a little wild in the third act. I do think that whatever happens with the ship changing isn't really feeding into the, the themes of the movie for me in, in any yeah. meaningful way. It's just kind of like, okay, that's that's a cool thing. But up until that point, I really liked how the ship moved and how it slowly changed like we see like small ripples on the underbelly where you would think it's like metal or something like that and you realize like the intricacies of this um so i did i did like how that kind of progressed but then yeah once it went full like origami sculpture i was just like okay this this looks okay but i'm not sure what i'm really getting out of it yeah it doesn't have that reveal right a reveal like that should have a revelation to it yeah like oh there's more to this thing but what is it it's I'm not sure. Yeah, and maybe that's 
from like I know there's like title you know it does these big bold I'm all for big control again mentioned earlier on the show big bold title sequences that chapter out the different parts of the movie that align with the horses names this and the the cold open to the um to the intro credits that's from the inside of the um the ship that we don't even realize till later that that's what it is do you remember what i'm talking about no 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 no. i don't no no so yeah it's a cold open to the intro credits and we're looking out through the kind of rectangular um, the thing that looks like a camera thing. lens. like Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. We're looking out through it from the inside of the craft, I believe. Yeah. Um, really cool stuff that kind of just like you, you pick up on Because it kind of has two cold opens. It has that this title sequence and then it has the gory stuff. That yes, it, right, exactly. Which I thought was like really evocative because I'm like, I thought I was seeing an alien movie. What, what's I going know. on? With, and yeah. See, this is for for me, someone who's interested in, you know, the this phenomena. Um I feel like the movie is very much not interested in the modern takes on the phenomena, right? It's like very much doing this. I, I don't want to say simplistic because I think there's something cool to this idea. No, of it. it's zigging. It's zigging when it could like it, it. It seems straightforward. Okay, alien invasion, and there's more layers to it. Which is cool. it's like there's there's nothing that even implies that this thing is not from Earth necessarily. You know, it's sure. kind of this thing where it's like they never even. Uh, it, there's no reason it needs to be necessarily. So it was an interesting choice, but. Um, yeah, maybe maybe something where my interest would have led me elsewhere, but I appreciated going in expecting one thing and having the rug pulled out in an interesting way. Yeah, and la- last thing I mentioned is just how fun the movie is. I think yeah. um, we get a lot of really great comedic relief from our uh, Fry guy um, who is played by let me make sure oh my Brandon Press. Yeah. Very, very funny. Um, I believe that role was originally offered to... Um, uh, actor that we both really love, uh, Jesse Plemons. Um, and oh, part really? of it, I think, I think Brandon Paris, uh, uh, yeah, Brandon Pereira d- delivers a really great performance, but something that, you know, I'll always take a Plemons. Give me I a Plemons. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, scheduling conflicts though, unfortunately. Uh, but really great. I don't understand Michael Winscott's character. I think he's doing a great thing, but he, you know, he comes in as the filmmaker. I think that's one of the loose threads of the capturing the spectacle, I, I like him conceptually. Again, these are these ideas of yes. like, I, I like him conceptually. It's like, what if Roger Deakins was, was here to film this thing? I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm totally there for that. And when he brings the um, non-electric camera or whatever, and she freaks out about it, um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah. the handheld yeah. camera, that's, that's great stuff. But then he just basically, yeah, it's, it's a little bit um, half The idea is there. I think the idea is there, but again, but him, just, him like sacrificing himself because they didn't deserve the shot or something. It it's kind it's of like, almost silly okay. because he goes, Oh, it's almost golden hour. You know, it's such a yeah. cinematographer <laughs> yeah, thing of like, right. we can get the, you know, there's something there. But again, I think to connect the audiences, cause I, I do think mostly it's balancing this humor. This is one time when the humor goes into the silly, takes me out of the tension. Why yeah. is this character doing this? This character wasn't induced early enough or we hadn't seen an example of how we could make this falter. Again, it's these little touch-ups on the script that I think would really perfect what's going on here. But again, those are I think they all are most nitpicks for how good and well-executed most of the other things are. All right, we're running really long on this weekly upload, so Brian, do you have any other things in non-spoiler and then we'll, uh, then we'll wrap up this thing? I think that's it. I would definitely recommend this movie. Um, Jordan Peele, uh, I'll, I'm still still super fan. Can't wait to to continue seeing new ones. Yeah, I'm and to come for back it. to this one really. Yeah. Oh no, I can't. I actually can't wait because I like you have been more positive the longer I've gone on thinking about the film. 
and uh, can't wait to to catch it again and can't wait to see what the he comes out with. I mean, just the sequence of uh, he loves slowing songs down. I wear my sunglasses at night. That sequence with the house, so evocative, so great, so spooky. That's the kind of horror that I'm here for. So that's Nope. And Brian, that's a weekly upload. What are we talking about on our main topic episode? Well, we are kicking off Predator Month in possibly the weirdest way possible. With- <laughs> this is when Christian <laughs> clearly threw out his back, did not double check the show order, and uh, maybe would have had his punch up on our scheduling. But uh, hey, it's good as place any to start, right? This is not going to be joining us, unfortunately, but we're covering AVP Alien versus Predator. <laughs> For our Predator Month, we're doing all Predator. August? No, that's a Predator uh, Month, as I've coined it. No. Uh, and we are going to be covering a lot of the Predator movies, and we're starting with a very interesting entry, and I'm very curious to see what Brian has to say about it, um, or what I'll say about it, because I think I've got a sentence planned, but we're going to make 45 <laughs> minutes of content minimum. So we'll see how it goes. All that more. Again, emails at popoxcast.gmail.com. You've enjoyed this program. Subscribe on the YouTube podcast feed of choice, podcast player. Rate us five stars on uh, whatever. Smash the like button. All that shit. Smash it. If you want to get a digital copy of the original Predator, which I think, as, as of this recording, is the best one, uh, please comment. Follow the Popox on YouTube and comment on any of our videos that we make this this month. And that will give you one entry. You can get multiple entries for commenting on multiple, all the videos we post. We'll be posting at least five videos on YouTube, all the weekly uploads and our um, prey review. So very exciting stuff. Look forward to hearing from you. And uh, as always, we're going to close out with Christian's TikTok of the week. I'm obsessed with this sound. <gasps> this sound on this keyboard. <gasps> I love it. I'm so perplexed as to why they felt like they needed to add it. <gasps> right? And a whole octave as well. Like... <gasps> And this one, that one might work in a song, right? Right, fast, snappy, but not. I love this sound, but there's only one, and there's tons of, which I do not need. Okay, this is too laborious and slow. There's a gastrointestinal distress there. Who is this man? What's wrong with him? It's 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 fresh oysters on sale in a landlocked city. It's stabbing a giant in the night to steal his gold. It's walking through the forest and the only source of water is a pond that beavers go to the bathroom in. And it, do- it doesn't work with any beat, it's too slow. Oh yes, oh yes. Mama, 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 massive. Oh gosh, hold tight. It's not exactly m- tapping toes in Ibiza, Spain. 